We are in the middle of this series, and uh, it, it's so important to remember that as we engage with God's truth, it really can begin to change our thinking, change, and then ultimately change our lives. I want to tell you a little bit of story about a story about my own life and my own sort of change in mind, and it really begins by sharing my faith journey. Uh, I know some of you have heard parts of that journey, but uh, I often say that I grew up in Mayberry. And uh, I said that to my son, he's like, what's that? Yeah. yeah, so, well, Mayberry is a reference to the Andy Griffith show. Yeah, and I grew up as a kid watching reruns of, of that show. So you can actually probably go to Netflix and find that. But it, it was this idyllic sort of small town, small town sheriff and the story of his family and all that. And that was my experience. I grew up in an idyllic sort of small town with lots of extended family. And I uh, grew up in that context, and, you know, church was very important to my family. I grew up going to church, and I knew that that was an important place, and I, and I would go, and on occasion, I'd actually get something out of it, you know? But for the longest time, I didn't really, I mean, I knew that God loved me, I knew that Jesus died on the cross, um, but I didn't really understand a whole lot more than that. You know, and so I, I knew that, that I had had this sort of encounter with Jesus, but I didn't really fully understand what it meant to follow Jesus and what, what the implications of, of having that kind of relationship with, with God was all about until my senior year in high school where I began to, actually this Sunday school teacher, she started messing with me. I mean, it was crazy. She asked questions Things like, what are you going to do with your life? How is your life going to bring God glory? How are we going to use your gifts to his glory? And, and she, would, she would ask questions, not necessarily in these words, but she would say things like, did you know that all that you have, your loves, your talents, your resources, your opportunities, are really a gift from God? Like, Hey man, I just want to live my life, you know, I'm, I'm doing the church thing, it's all good, I want to go off to school and have some fun, and you know, at that point I was thinking I was going to go to Iowa State, I was going to become an engineer, you know, that was kind of my life plan, I was going to have a good time. And she started messing. And then she said to us as a group, you know, there was 12 of us, high school seniors meeting every Sunday, and, and she said, you know what, I've got a plan, we're going to go to Chicago and we're going to spend a week in Chicago. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not. Oh, I know. I've already talked to your parents. We're going. And so we, we went, and we went to this little inner city church that met in a corner bar on Sunday mornings. And uh, the rest of the week, it was a bar. And so they literally had to clean up, you know, before the service began. Some of them, I think, had just left before the service. Um, but they served this tiny little housing project in the near north side of Chicago. And it blew my mind. I was like, you know what? I didn't have any say in where I was born or the opportunities that I was given. And so I had to begin to think differently about my life. And she really challenged me. That God truly is concerned how I use the gifts and the opportunities that I've been given. That he wants me, us, each of us, to extend that grace to others. 
that we've been saved for a purpose, that following Jesus means that I'm giving my life to him, all that I am to him. My gifts, my opportunities, my talents, my things. So God wants us to move from this mindset of thinking that we are the master of our own destinies or owners of our lives to faithful and generous stewards or managers of this one life that we've been given. So what kind of shifts would it take for us? What mental shifts do we need to to make in order to believe that we're not the owners, that we are the managers of our life? I want to read a story. It's a parable from Matthew 25. And I want you to listen. You maybe have heard this. We, we did a whole series on, of parables this summer, and I believe this was one of them, but um, I want to read it again. It's from Matthew 25, and, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. So this is really important to understand, okay? The kingdom of God. And, and to understand the context in which Jesus is talking, he's talking about this kingdom of God, this idea that you know, this period of time between Jesus' resurrection and his return. And it's a little bit like, he's, like, like pregnancy. That's one way I can describe it. I remember uh, when, when Giselle was first pregnant, you know, we knew that there was a, a little child formed in Giselle's womb. So there was this already sense to this, but there was a not yet to it too. We hadn't met this child. We hadn't seen her face or touched her skin or heard her voice, though there was this not yet. And so Jesus would say, the kingdom of God is like. And, I'm, and he was truly concerned about how we live between his resurrection and his return. And so this story, it's the parable of the talents. I want you to listen to these, these words. He said, again, that is the kingdom, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five more bags. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two bags more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. 
So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an interesting story, isn't it? I'm convinced that God wants us to move from this mindset of thinking that we are the masters of our own destinies, the owners of our own lives, to faithful and generous stewards or managers. So what are some of these mental shifts that Jesus is suggesting in this story? Well, first is this. I think we have to remember, we have to know that we live a life on loan We live a life on loan. The very first verse of this parable is, again, the kingdom of God will be like this man, this master going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. He gives over sort of his life, his stuff, his, his wealth to them. The Bible over and over and over again says, God is ultimately the owner Psalm 24, verse 1 said, The earth is the Lord, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Or Deuteronomy 8, 18 says this, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to, his ans- to your ancestors as it is today. The earth is the Lord's. In fact, Psalm 8 is another psalm that talks about how God created the heavens and the earth, and what is man that you are mindful of? You created a little lower than the heavenly beings. You gave him incredible meaning and purpose. Yet you are the owner, God. Who are we? Who are we? One of the key things for me I had to remember, I had to think about, was this idea of who owned this life of mine. It was not mine. Here I am sitting in Chicago, and it just reminded again, I'm, I'm, I'm working and living in sort of for this week around these, this whole different context, and it, I had nothing to do with where I was born, with the opportunities that I was given, and the things that, that I was able to do that I could not imagine some of these kids that we were working with had opportunities. It... it, it was nothing, it was just a gift. Life is a gift. And we are not the owners of our own lives. We have received it as a gift. So one of the steps I think that we need to take, and, and I'll use a term from, from the real estate world, is that maybe we need to get out this quit claim deed. A quit claim deed is a legal sort of piece of paper that says this, I'm transferring ownership, I've relinquished ownership in any sort of real property, land or houses or whatever it is, and maybe we need to do that too. Because the reality is, Jesus is saying, we've been entrusted. And I used to think these talents that in this parable were all about natural abilities, like you know, being able to play the piano or something like that. No, the talent in in this story is really a measure of, of money. A lot of it. Like, 
500,000 to 750,000 in today's terms? Half a million to three quarters of a million dollars? And, and this master distributes it. In this story, I think it's more like this. It's more like opportunity. The master gives us opportunities, each according to our own abilities or circumstances. And what are we going to do with it? But maybe some of us need to relinquish control and ownership. And we need to say, you know what, that house, that car, my business, my family, my whole life, it's not mine. It's been given as a gift. Just yesterday, my wife and I, we were at a funeral in Sioux Center. Her aunt passed away. Four weeks ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. Four weeks. And she's gone. About a week ago, I got a call from my daughter just to tell me that a classmate of hers was diagnosed with cancer. And a friend who I had been in a Bible study with this summer, his mother had gotten a report that cancer had spread through her entire body. She probably will not make it till Christmas. Life is a vapor. We live life on loan from God. We have a short time, and it's not ours to determine. God has given us this time your life as a gift. That's one mental shift I think we need to, to make. Another one is this. I think we need to believe that we are to risk what we've been given. To risk these opportunities that God gives us. It's interesting to me Immediately, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Interesting, isn't it? Those first two, they went and they risked everything. They put it to work. It's amazing to me. I think throughout the scripture, God invites God's people to risk things. I mean, you can, you can look at individuals throughout the Bible and the story of the Bible, you know, beginning with, with Noah. Think about this. Noah, I want you to build a boat in the middle of a desert. And it's going to take most of your life, by the way, and all of your resources. Or about David, a young teenager who takes on a giant he had no guarantee that God would bless him or strike down Goliath, and yet he risked something. Or I think about Esther, this young woman who became the queen, and Mordecai went before her and said, please plead for the lives of your people. And she did, putting her own life at great risk. She had no idea of what outcome would be. No special revelation from God. In fact, she said, if I perish, I'll perish. 
Or think about Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. His entire life was one risk after another. He took whatever opportunity that he could and he said, I'm going to make an investment for the kingdom of God. He was shipwrecked, he was tortured, he was thrown into prison. Every day was an adventure and he didn't know the outcome. Or you think about the early church as an example of an entire generation who risked something. And I think about that for our church. Are we going to continue to risk something to believe that God can use what we have to offer to make an impact in the kingdom of God? That entire church, that early church, if they preached or had a convert or a miraculous healing, they were threatened or hauled before authorities, thrown into prison, and their very existence was put at risk. I like what John Piper has to say. He says this, it is the will of God that we be uncertain about how life on earth will turn out for us and that we take risks for the cause of God. Or D.L. Moody, he said this, if God be your partner, let's make large plans. Let's risk something. So what is it that God may be nudging you to risk? Maybe it's a new ministry that God has put on your heart. Maybe it's pursuing foster care or adoption. Maybe it's a divinely directed career change. Maybe it's joining one of our mission teams overseas. I know that we have a group going to Haiti in just a few days. Maybe it's simply forgiving someone, a willingness to risk even though you don't know what your heart will happen to your heart. Maybe it's sharing Christ with your friend or your coworker or your neighbor, being willing to risk for the kingdom of God. Maybe it's courageously waiting for God's choice in your marriage or trying to reorder your marriage God's way. Or maybe it's obeying God and how you approach your business, operating with integrity in fields where hardly anyone knows what that means. Maybe it's being willing to be obedient in your finances to risk the security that we so long for, to actually believe that God would bless you as you tithed. There's a verse in Malachi that says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, test me, says the Lord. And see if it will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What would it be like? It may be scary, but it's even more risky to not risk, isn't it? You think about the implications of not risking. There's some amazing stories about that in the Bible too. One in particular is in the Old Testament. God's people are going out of Egypt and they're about to enter into the promised land that God had led them to. And he said, now, I want you to send out spies. 
go check out the land. And they did. Twelve spies go. And they come back, and it's an amazing report. Yes, it's full of milk and honey. It's an amazing place. But ten say this. There's giants in the land, and we're like grasshoppers. We should wait. But two said, no, we need to go now. This is what God is leading us to do. But what did they decide? They decide to wait, and the consequences are huge. In fact, in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, God speaks and comments on the decision of the ten, and he said, it was evil what they said. And in fact, they were cursed with a plague and died. And for the next 40 years, they wandered in the desert. Think about it. Look, let's go back to this story because I think this leads into the next sort of shift I think we need to make. We need to trust the master's goodness rather than live in fear. It's interesting. The first two servants, the one who had been given five talents or opportunities, was eager for the master to come. And the master comes to settle accounts and he finds this first servant, 100% return. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then second servant, 100% return. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the third servant, zero return. And it says there, then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. That's really the story, isn't it? I was afraid. I was afraid to take a risk. I was afraid to to follow this nudging. I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. He didn't do anything morally wrong. And yet, what does the master do? You wicked and lazy servant. And he takes it away and he casts them out. It's scary to risk, but it's even more risky not to risk. We need to trust the master's goodness rather than live in fear. I like what Paul has to say in Romans chapter 8. This is what he says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, Paul trusted the character and the goodness of God and he was willing to risk In fact, he began to see the compassion and the goodness of God through the cross. He knew the character of God because God himself had risked everything for us. 
Maybe we need to begin to pray and measure God's compassion through the lens of the cross and the power of the resurrection and believe that God wants to give us good things. So risk. We can trust the master's goodness, his character. Here's the last thing I want to share today. This last sort of mental shift, if you will. I think we need to know that God will ultimately reward the risk that we're willing to take for the sake of the kingdom of God. I like what it says to each of these servants, these first two servants. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And he does it again to the second servant. Now, I don't exactly know, but there's a couple of things that Jesus is saying that the master is giving. Greater responsibility and greater joy because they were willing to risk and say, you know what, here it is. I'm, I, I want to give my life these opportunities for you, master. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly. What does it mean to have greater responsibility in the kingdom of God? It can mean many things, I think. But I do know this, that throughout Scripture, even Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, lay up for yourselves treasures, not here on earth, but in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy to have greater responsibility and greater joy. You know, I want to hear those words. I want to hear those words. I think that became true in Chicago as an 18-year-old kid. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to live my life in such a way that God would bless that. Life here is such a vapor. It boggles the mind. It seems that many of us live in denial of that. In fact, I heard a pastor once say to his congregation, you know, you've been wives, many of you, about your life for the last 20 years, but I'm amazed at how foolish you've been for the next 20 billion You've been living your life for now. But how are you preparing for the rest of life, for eternal life? How are you preparing for that? It's a great question. One thing I'm convinced we need to know, we are not the masters of our own destinies. We are not the owners of our life. Our life is a gift. And we're invited to use our life for God's glory, to follow him, to trust him along the way. Let's pray. Lord God, there is, uh, I know that many in this room understand what it means to risk something uh, for, on your behalf.
thank you for that. There are people in our lives that risk inviting us to church or telling us about what God, what you have done in, in, our, in their lives and so that we could experience the joy of life with you as well. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. People that would risk. Risk our resources, risk our time. Help us to be a church that would continue to look for ways to, to risk for the kingdom of God. Lord, I would pray that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.